Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. Thank you, Gene. Morning, Michael. Kiddos, you are released. The rest of you, good morning. That sounded rude. Kiddos, good morning. (laughs) The rest of you, good morning. In your face for leaving. No, that's not what I meant. Uh, If you haven't already, turn to Acts 19. Uh, As Gene read this morning, we will be in verses 11 through 20. Do you ever, I'm sure you do, but this is the question, get junk mail in your physical mailbox, not, not your email, I know we all get junk email, but your, your physical mailbox, and it says, open immediately, response critical, uh, or some other marketing scheme, and, and some of them are pretty good. Uh, they're, they're pretty convincing, and they fool you, uh, and you open that, and, and then you realize um, that there is just nothing in there but a fake $10,000 check you can't spend anyways unless you pay 50% on the advance or whatever it is. Um, but for, for the most part, we just take those pieces of junk mail. We know there's no authority. They, we know that they're junk, and we just take them from the mailbox, and we throw them right in the garbage. <laughs> And if you don't, do that. Um, But on the other hand, we have some pieces of mail that we get, and they have uh, names on them that we recognize. And those names, we we want to open uh, those pieces of mail. We want to open them quickly, see what's inside, because um, names are important. They carry weight in our hearts and minds. Some names cause our hearts to flutter because they, uh, they remind us or they identify the person that we love. Some names cause our hearts to beat faster because um, maybe we have some tension built up with that person. Some names make our hearts glad. Some make our hearts sad, but names are important nonetheless. Now we treat, some treat the name of Jesus as just another name. No big deal, just another God, just another religious person, just another prophet, just a good man, and they shrug him off for now. But for some, the name of Jesus, when we hear the name Jesus, we see our Savior, our King, the one to whom we owe our life in eternity, the one answer, the Alpha and the Omega, the beloved son, the branch, the cornerstone, Emmanuel, the righteous one, the light of the world, the lion of Judah, the man of sorrows and the morning star, the prince of life and the prince of peace, the redeemer, the resurrection and the life, the rock, the root of David, the rose of Sharon, the true vine, the very God of very God. But regardless of how we see him, all will respond to the name of Jesus in one way or another. 
Paul reminds us in Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we're going to look at some responses to the name of Jesus this morning. And we're going to first look at how Jesus works through apostolic authority and then how people respond to what they are saying. So if you will, look at verses 11 and 12 with me. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So what we know is that Jesus, he is given specific authority to 12 apostles. He, is, he rose them up, he chose them, he granted them a special authority to speak on his behalf to the community, to the believing community. These were the ones who spent time with Jesus. They, they were learning directly from Jesus. They saw his miracles. He gave them authority to to conduct miracles, to cast out demons. They saw all this firsthand. This is why when Judas goes away, they say we need to raise somebody up that was with us. We saw that in Acts 1. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry, until the day when he was taken up the ascension, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. It had to be someone who met these requirements. And as we move forward in the early church history, in the, in the word and acts, we see apostles' authority in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves, this is the early church, the 3,000 believers, who do they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching. We see in Ephesians 2.20 that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Paul will later on tell the Thessalonians, we didn't seek glory from people, whether you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So they have this special authority. And then when we get here and we are with Paul, we see that on the road to Damascus, he encounters the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's chosen to be a light to the Gentiles. And in that encounter becomes one of the apostles endowed with special authority. And one of the signs of apostolic authority, it's these extraordinary miracles um, or if that doesn't communicate well, no ordinary powerful deeds. They're, they're not just miracles. He's not saying, he doesn't say, oh, Paul was doing the miraculous. He's saying these are extra, I mean, a miracle alone is, is, I think, extraordinary. But he's amplifying these miracles. These are extraordinary miracles that are happening. We only see them a couple of other times. We see them in Peter. And so they even carried out the sick in the streets and laid them on cots and mats. And as Peter is walking by, his shadow falls on them and they are healed. We see that with Jesus. 
And the woman who's been bleeding for years and she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and just touched his garment and said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This is later affirmed by Paul. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. How did a true apostle, how did they know they were doing signs and wonders and mighty works? So these miracles were designed to authenticate the apostles' credentials in the eyes of the distrusting community around them. And I believe the reason we only see these type of miracles in Peter and in Paul is because Peter was chosen to proclaim the good news to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. So they're setting them up as pillars to listen to. For Paul, these miracles here at Ephesus were extremely powerful because it was in the presence of dark magic arts that were going on at that time. The Lord was showing that Paul's message of Jesus was far superior than the magic that was going on around them. So these miracles were not only proclaiming the apostolic witness, that these were men that they should listen to, that they had been with Jesus, but they were pictures of the kingdom of God. So look at the text. Verse 12, even handkerchiefs, or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and disease had left them. This isn't a license to sell um, holy handkerchiefs or anything like that. He's just saying that God can work through whatever he wants. He said, I could raise up children through rocks um, if, if the people do not worship me. So he can work however he desires. But when we get sick in this life, when we uh, see our loved ones get sick, we desire healing. We desire them to be healing because that's revealing that there's this internal uh, thing, this internal reality in our hearts that this is not right. It shouldn't be this way. We don't know why maybe, but we know that this is not the way things should be. And we'll, just, we'll do just about anything to get away from that. We'll do just about any, anything to, uh, to feel better or help our loved ones feel better. And what we see in these extraordinary miracles is, is a temporary reversal of the curse. Sickness and death is a result of the curse of sin. The reason we suffer, the reason we get sick and die. And in that reversal, as we see these people being healed, the kingdom of God is breaking through just ever so slightly. We're seeing a, like in a dim glass what the kingdom looks like. And for a moment, we're seeing that all things are going to be made new by Jesus Christ. That disease is not part of his kingdom. That he has come to repair that, to redeem his creation. You see, healing is not an end in itself. It's just a glimpse into a far greater reality. This is why 
We grow so weary, or I grow so weary of, of healing ministries that exalt the healing of the physical instead of pointing to Christ and his work, the ultimate healing and perfection of all things in the next life. Any healing that anchors your eyes more in your physical healing right now than in Jesus' ultimate healing is dangerous. It is taking your eyes away from Christ and placing it on yourself. Paul doesn't say to live as Christ, so I need to be healed constantly. He says to live as Christ and to die is actually gain. It is actually better for me to be with the Lord, he says. Healing, physical healing, is pointing to a far greater reality in the kingdom of God. We also see not just physical healing, we see the evil spirits even come out of people. The demonic are those spiritual beings that are set against both God and man. They they, they hate God and they hate humanity because we reflect God's image. And seeing to torment, they're seeking to torment and turn all of humanity away from God. In the kingdom of God, the demonic will be nowhere to be found. It will be judged and cast into hell for all eternity. And these are beautiful pictures and shadows of what is to come when Jesus makes all things new. And today we might not have these extraordinary miracles. I have no fancy um, healing cloths up here. Uh, no, none of that is going, nothing from me, nothing from anyone else is going to heal you like that. But we can certainly picture the kingdom of God to people around us. Ephesus held magic in, in high honor, high esteem. They, they exalted the magical So the miraculous moved them to see the power of God is far greater than what they're looking at. The church pictures the kingdom of God by by being full of recovering addicts, people being uh, delivered from addiction, from drugs and alcohol and shopping and food or whatever. We We are recovering, we're a picture of the kingdom The church pictures the kingdom of God by taking care of the needy around us, absorbing the needs of those in our presence so that no one is in need. There should be no one in our presence that is in need. The early church pictures the kingdom by selling all that they had and taking care of the people around them. You picture the kingdom of God in your own life by having hope in the chaos, love, toward the lowly, patience, and peace. Church, we should wake up in the morning not thinking, what do I have to do today? But how can I reveal the kingdom of God in everything I do today? So we wanna look at the purpose of these miracles. Just back up, I know this isn't part of our Uh, text this morning, but we see the purpose of the miracles in verse 8. Paul, he entered the synagogue for three months and spoke boldly, 
reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And in verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So the verses, if you're reading through Acts, uh, it's not Paul was doing that and then he goes and does what's going on in 11 through 20. It's just zooming in on his ministry in verses 8 and 10. So we see that Paul, his reasoning, his, his, his persuading, it's accompanied with these extraordinary miracles. He's showing that he is truly an apostle of God, that his word is truly God's word. I just want to remind you real quickly um, of what it says in verse 9. Some people became stubborn and continued in unbelief. People still continued in unbelief when handkerchiefs were healing people from a distance. They still continued in unbelief. And the reason I say that is because so many people have often said if people would just see the miraculous, they would believe in the Bible, they would believe in Jesus. And I'm saying, no, they would not. Jesus tells a parable in Luke. We covered that. I'm sure you remember. Um, and Luke is telling, or Jesus is telling a parable about Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus, he's in heaven and the rich man's in hell. And he says, this is terrible. You should send somebody from the dead to my brothers so that they can know, so that my brothers can know what goes on after they die. And then they'll believe. And he says, No, they won't. Even if someone is raised from the grave, they'll still remain hard-hearted. Belief is a gift from God. It comes comes behind the miraculous. Or if it's simply just you sitting there sharing the love of Jesus Christ over a cup of coffee. The real miraculous work, church, the real miracle is not the sick being healed. It is the spiritually dead being made alive. That is the true miracle of the gospel. So we see that the first purpose of these miracles was not just to heal a a bunch of folks. It was so that they could tell of the kingdom of God. So they could tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. We're filling in the word with what we show in deed. So when people say, that's miraculous. This change in your life is miraculous. This this miracle that happened is miraculous. We can say, yes, it points to the kingdom of God. Let me tell you of the kingdom of God. But miracles, good works, looking like the kingdom if we think they're all useless if the kingdom of God, if the gospel is not proclaimed. The second purpose is the widespread of the word of the Lord. We see that in verse 10. This continues on for two years so that, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It doesn't say all the residents of Asia believed, but they did hear the word. They heard the gospel. The point is the apostolic witness is taken and shared. It's revealing the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
God took specific men with specific, a specific message and they used, he used them to spread his word to the ends of the earth. And those men called all to respond to the name of Jesus. So in the rest of the passage, we see these responses to Jesus' name. The first response is just seeking to use his name for personal gain. Look at verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that just means traveling Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. So these, these traveling Jewish exorcists, they sought to use Jesus' name for, for their fame, for their uh, following. They wanted people to come to them. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They say, we adjure you by, the, by Jesus, by this Jesus that Paul has been talking about. We don't know him, but he seems like a pretty powerful dude. So we're just going to cast out demons by that name. But they didn't see the success that Paul was having. So they use his name out of, not out of belief, but to further their purpose. So that the crowds are drawn to them instead of Paul. Jesus will not be used for our personal glory. See in Philippians 2.11, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These traveling Jewish exorcists were seeking their own glory, the real disciple, but the real disciple of Jesus will not point to themselves. They're not trying to draw, we're not drawing people to ourselves, we're pointing to Jesus Christ. And the name of Jesus cannot be used apart from faith. Keep looking at the text, verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. <clears throat> but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. They weren't acting in faith. They were using his name like a magical incantation. But Jesus' name cannot be used apart from faith. James reminds us, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 17, and when they came to a crowd, a man came up to them kneeling before them and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and he suffers terribly for often he falls in the fire and often into the water. I brought them to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. And Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out and the boy was healed. And the disciples came to him privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said, because of your little faith. 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But his name is not some magical incantation. It is the faith behind the name of Jesus, truly believing who he is. Faith in who he is, faith in what he can do, faith in what he has promised to do, that can, that can, um, a faith that can participate in the promises of God. So the question is, do you attempt to use the name of Jesus apart from faith? In salvation, do you only profess the name of Jesus? You say, I'm okay with Jesus. Jesus is all right with me so that you can hopefully one day stay out of hell, but you have not died to self and you have not lived for him. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do we attempt to only use his name instead of believing and what that name represents and who he is. Do you attempt to use the name of Jesus in prayer to get what you want without thinking, what does Christ want? What does Jesus want in my life? What does he desire in my life? Or am I just taking, in Jesus' name I pray, and stamping it on everything I pray so that I get what I want? Or do you use the name of Jesus in conversations with Christians so that they think you're a Christian, but the rest of your conversations, Jesus is nowhere to be found, and you would rather him not actually, you'd be ashamed of what he would hear if he was standing there with you, which he is, anyway. That is using the name of the Lord in vain. We usually boil that down into just cussing. We're saying something we shouldn't, with Jesus' name or, or God's name. Using the Lord's name in vain is taking it and using it in a less than honorable way. It's taking it and placing or placing the title of Christian on yourself and not living like him. You're, you're using it to your advantage and not living and looking like you should. It's using the name Christian or Jesus for a political advantage or social advantage as a talking point without reverence. Jesus, his name is, is powerful, it's life-giving. May we never ever use it for self-exaltation or personal gain. So the first response is just abusing the name of Jesus. Some will take it and use it for their glory, to make money with it, or whatever. The second response is a lot more proper. Verse 17. Well, verse 16. The evil spirit overpowers them, and they run out naked and afraid and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, 
and fear fell upon them all. Fear's the proper response to an almighty God. All in Ephesus came face to face with the reality that even demons bow to the name of Jesus. We see that in verse 15. The evil spirit says to them, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize, but who are you? So all of, all of Ephesus hears that these demons even profess that Jesus is king, that he's Lord, that he's more powerful than they are. This is a power they've never known in Ephesus, greater than any other power. They've, they've seen the power of the demonic. They've, they've seen the power of sickness and death, but at the name of Jesus, they see that every knee will bow. Isaiah has the same experience in the call to worship we had this morning. He's standing in, in God's presence and the angels are singing to each other, crying out worship, and the foundations of the thresholds are shaking at the one who calls, and the house was filled with smoke, and Isaiah's standing there, and he says, woe is me. Fear immediately. He recognizes who he is and who God is. He recognizes I'm in the presence of a holy God and I am not holy, I'm lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king. His response is immediately fear. Fear does not only come in the presence of great power, it comes in the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom is the gospel, but the gospel draws a dividing line between the wheat and the chaff, between the goats and the sheep. One cannot simply shrug off the gospel message and say, well, it sounds good and it's fluffy, or maybe they can now, but at the moment of Christ's return, that will all be made very clear. There was good news. There's hope in Jesus Christ. If you turn from him, you have no hope. The gospel message begins with bad news so that we can see the good news. The wrath of God is, is not a smack on the wrist it's not a thousand years in purgatory. It's eternal, eternal damnation in hell where the grace of God is removed and the wrath of God is the only thing present. Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do you have the proper fear of the Lord? Understand that he is mighty. Understand that he is holy, that he is judge. He's desire, you should desire to please him with your life. Instead of fearing what others think, instead of fearing what they're going to think or what, what you look like in their eyes, you need to be thinking, what do I look like in God's eyes? 
And too often or often we look at Jesus as the lamb and we should, but we have to remember he's also the lion of Judah. The third response is it just naturally flows out of when you're in the presence of a holy God, it's going to be worship. Verse 17, fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Proper fear propels us into worship. It's an understanding of who Jesus is, that he is God Almighty. It's a positioning ourselves under him. We are not God. That might be newsflash for you this morning. You're not God, but we serve an awesome God. It's confessing our praise of, uh, uh, our praise of who is God. That's what worship is. But a proper understanding of grace, it's not just fear. We don't walk around just afraid all the time. A proper understanding of grace, God's grace, is it's propelling us to worship. Fear sets our understanding right of who God is. He's the king of kings. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's present everywhere. But God in his great grace, he, he, even though he is great, greater than any other, transcendent above all, he puts on flesh and becomes a servant to you and to me. He humbles himself even to the point of death on the cross. So he lowers himself as low as he can to make you partakers of his grace, to offer you his grace, his mercy, forgiveness from judgment, peace instead of chaos. That's what he did. That is his good news for you. And that would propel us to worship. It should propel us to worship. But also our lives lived out in fear of God and his commands people will see the power of Jesus in and through us. They'll see the kingdom of God pictured. So others will proclaim and extol the name of God. We see in 17, in all of them, the name of Jesus was extolled. They start to say, when we look like the kingdom, these people look different. Something is going on with them. They claim they follow this man named Jesus and they, they claim they wanna look like him and they care like no one else cares and they show love like no one else shows love and peace and they're patient most of the time. And when they mess up, they come and they ask for forgiveness instead of puffing out their chest and acting like they're right all the time. These people are different. And the, the great works of God that is, he's performing in and through the church is not to exalt us. It's not to make Hauser Community Church great in the nation or in this community. It's so that people will extol the name of Jesus. All we say and do should be for his glory. So we have to ask ourselves, is my life one that points to Jesus and his power? Are your conversations exalting Jesus and his 
power? Are you, are you reflecting the freedom of grace and still bound by the sin and addiction in your life? Do people around you even know you're a believer? The fourth response is repentance. Look at verse 18. Also many of those who are now believers came Don't let that fall on deaf ears. These were already believers who came. One that realized, yeah, I follow Jesus, but I've been messing up. They come, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts, they brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all and they counted the value of them and they found it to be about 50,000 pieces of silver, which comes out to around $50 million or something like that, and now today's currency. The name of Jesus is going to bring us to either confessing him as Lord or rejecting him as Lord. The demons, they flee in fear of Jesus, um, but they are ultimately in utter rebellion. They cry out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? They, they confess who he is. Have you come here to torment us before the time? They know exactly who he is, but they are in utter rebellion running the opposite way. The rebellious, they puff out their chests. They disobey until the day comes when the truth is revealed and they'll be on their knees with the rest of creation. But for those of us who have been given eyes to see, this fear drives us to repentance over and over and over. We're reminded who God is, just like Isaiah was. Woe is me. He was a prophet already. And he's in the presence, and he realizes, I need to repent. I have not exalted God where I should. So what is Repentance looked like, verse 18. They came confessing and divulging their practices. So it looks like confession. Verse 19. A number of them had practiced arts. They brought their books and they burned them in the sight of all. It's turning away from sin. Not messing with it, not playing around with it, not acting like you're cool with it on uh, Monday through Saturday. It is burning it, getting rid of it. It's a public confession. They burned their books in the sight of all. It's showing others, I am following Jesus. I am no longer this old person. I'm now a new creation. I'm not going that way. I look new. And it's valuing Jesus above all. They burned $50,000 or 50,000 pieces of silver worth of books. They said, I don't care how much this cost, I don't care what it cost me to live, is Christ. I will get rid of everything so that I can live for him. I'm gonna die to myself. I'm gonna die to what this looks like, what I thought I should look like, and live for however he wants me to. Some of you need to walk through this and confess sin this morning. Some of you need to turn away from sin this morning. It's confession, repentance is more than just confession. It's turning away. 
getting away from it. Paul tells Timothy, flee from it. It's saying, I don't want to live like that. I'm new. Some of you need to stop turning back to sin like like a dog returns to its vomit. That is the picture of returning to sin. Turn toward Jesus who gives you true food to eat. Some of you need to step forward and and make a public confession of faith this morning. You need to acknowledge that Jesus is truly your savior. That the spirit is moving in your heart and you want to pray with someone this morning, you will have the opportunity to do so after the sermon. Some of you need to return to your first love, to value Jesus more than anything Else, more than finances, more than money, more than work, fame, desire, lust, whatever it is that you're exalting into his position, given all of your time and money and attention to turn from that because all of that is going to be ruined and corroded. And if you value anything above Jesus, the one who gives you all meaning and all purpose, You need to turn from that and return to your first love. And then increase the kingdom. That's the fifth response, verse 20. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Not because of Paul. He didn't, he wasn't just going around throwing his handkerchief on folks. He wasn't just going around. He wasn't the only one proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. People were saying, have you seen this? Have you heard this message? It was the church that caused the word to increase and prevail mightily. It was the Lord through the church, actually. Every one of you has a circle circle of influence I can't reach, others can't reach, but All of us in this room have a circle of influence and we can participate in building the kingdom of God by ministering in that circle of influence. So just keeping with Isaiah, his response after repentance, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal and he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and he said behold this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for this is what the blood of Christ does cleanses us from all sin he says I have atoned for your sin you are clean you are redeemed you are white as snow but as Response doesn't end there. He doesn't say, thank you. See you and when I die, I'll see you later. He says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then he said, here I am. Send me. Once he realized the grace that was poured out on him by God, Isaiah's only response was, I'll do whatever you want. You are king. You are redeemer. I will do what, he didn't even say, this is what I'm gonna do. He doesn't give him his assignment. He says, who will go? He doesn't even know where he's going. Right here. I will. 
I will go. He has one of the worst assignments in the Bible. He says, you're going to go and speak the word to the people, and they're not going to listen to a word you say. How long you want me to do that? Until everyone's into captivity. He didn't say, never mind. He says, okay, I know who you are. I will listen to anything you say. If you've experienced the power of Jesus Christ, are you moving forward in ministry? Are you ministering or are you just sitting and waiting for him to return or for you to die? Are you participating in advancing the kingdom of God? Some of you need to stop this morning, stop what you're doing and say, here I am, Lord, send me whatever that looks like. Because the Lord is constantly saying, whom shall I send? He's saying, the fields are white with harvest. He'll send you in your workplace, in your home, and our ministries here. The question is, are you willing? So not only are you called to respond to the name of Jesus, you're also called to live your life that way. That's a daily dying to self. That's a daily bowing the knee to the king of the universe, universe and saying, here I am, Lord. Send me. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond this morning. We're gonna do it a little bit differently. Instead of coming up here, um, what we're gonna do, you can either stay where you are, and that's totally fine. There's nothing magical about up here or the tables in the back. That is nothing special. But if you wanna stay where you are and you wanna do business with God, you say, I'm gonna repent, I wanna do this, just stay there and do it. If you wanna pray with someone, we'll have people in the back of these tables. They'll pray with you. But today is not the day to say, oh, well, maybe tomorrow. We're, I'm not sure I'm gonna take another breath after this sermon. We are all called this morning to respond to the name of Jesus. Whatever that looks like in your life, you're called to respond. I will be more faithful. I will follow him. Or no thank you. Are you gonna submit to him are you going to live for him? Are you going to cry out to him for salvation? Or are you going to ignore him? And that's a response in itself. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are awesome in this place. Jesus, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are redeemer and judge. You are our master, our savior. You are gentle and lowly. We are we're humbled to be in your presence. I pray, God, that you would move our hearts this morning. Every single one of us, we need to constantly come to the understanding that we need to respond to your name. I thank you for your love, your patience, your long-suffering. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move us this morning to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next Unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.